So this morning we did look back at last year with Haggai's first oracle as sort of a model of how we should look back, the metrics, as I said, we, we use to look back on the year gone by. We look back at that year, 2022, and we saw that however things went for us last year, what was it? It was God's doing. It was God's blessing. Whichever way things went for you, it was God's blessing if you would just see it and see that he is teaching you and drawing you closer to himself, closer to the image of Christ. It's not just things that happened. They're things that God intended. It's all his doing. And this afternoon, we're going to look at Zechariah's first oracle, verses 1 through 6. And he was more than just a contemporary of Haggai. And as I said, they were partners, as I call them. Partners in prophecy. And partners with Haggai, causing the people to prosper through their preaching. And both of them, Haggai and now Zechariah, they were focused on getting the people to restore the Lord's house after it was sacked by the Babylonians. They both had this one singular focus, which wasn't so much to just to do the work for the work's sake, but for what it symbolized, for what it meant to keep their word, to follow the dictates of the Lord, to do that for which the Lord brought them out of exile. That's why the house of the Lord was so important in that sense. And of course, in the most important sense, that temple of the Lord, where proper worship was conducted, was also the place where he chose his name to reside. So for all these reasons, it was crucial that these exiles get back to work and finish that temple. So that's sort of the context of Zechariah along with Haggai. I want to tell you, my message this afternoon is not really an exposition of the text so much, though I'm true to the text as far as it goes, but more of a devotion more of a devotional set of thoughts that will lead us into thinking about in terms of what I preached this morning about Haggai, what that means to us as we look forward. If Haggai was to look back and we look back and see God's hand in everything, Zechariah will look forward and also with God's hand in everything. But the look back this morning, the look forward this afternoon through Zechariah. Well, what's the good work that the prophets would have these people to do? What's the first step, actually, in getting this good work going or doing or progressing again? And the question is the same for us as individuals. As we look at last year and say, okay, here are my errors. Here's where God should have been the number one priority, and here's where he wasn't. Here's why things went awry for me in this or that way. Or here are good things that I have that didn't come from my devotion to him, but from my own flesh. All meant to teach us to put God in his proper place. But what's the first thing we do? If you look back on 2022, you usually find that there are things that you did wrong that you want to correct. More than we find that things are right, we're going to keep going. God willing, there's some of those. And so with the people in Haggai's and now Zechariah's day, what is the first step? What is the first good work that needs to get done before they can get going again? And for us, as we look ahead to next year, in the context of what we saw in ourselves last year, what is that first good work? What do we have to get going to get this thing on the right track? Well, it's verse 6. 
is verse 6. So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. It's repentance. It's turning. In both the Hebrew and the Greek, it means the same thing. It means turn around a 180 degree different course. I was going this way, now I'm going diametrically opposed path. Turning. Repentance. Determined mortification of sin. Now, I do have one point of expositional, if you will, expositional explanation. If you look at your ESV, in the ESV, the phrase, so they repented. Do you see that? So they repented. If you follow the single and the double quotes in this whole phrasing, this whole sentence, it's, it's quoting what the fathers in the previous age said. Okay? That's the way the quotations in our ESV make it look. So did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented. And that's still part of that quotation of the Lord speaking through Zechariah. Uh, the whole problem with their stiff-necked refusal to hear the prophets, to really hear them, was that they wouldn't hear them or repent. So what I've done is I closed the quote after the Lord's words, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented, cannot be those ancients, it's the people here who are hearing the word of God. Do you understand? It's, so they repented is the people who are hearing Zechariah, not the Lord talking about those, the fathers. And that's fairly important. So did they not overtake them after that, those who heard Zechariah's word as the word of the Lord, sort of like the Thessalonians in Paul the Apostle's day, they're the ones who repented and confessed God's judgments good and right. Their father's refusal to do that, to repent and confess God's judgments good and right, they are the reason that the people in Zechariah's day were in the situation they were in, because the father's refusal to repent. It's the people who heard Zechariah who repented and confessed the goodness of God. So what we have here, this brief message this morning, and it will be brief, what do we have here? We have a model of true repentance. A model of true repentance. Hearing the word of the Lord, prophetic word of the Lord, through the mouth of a man, Zechariah, acknowledged to be a prophet of God. It's a model of repentance. We hear the same word of God through the, through the scripture. The faith once for all time delivered to the saints. So when we hear this word of God, as they heard this word of God, as the Thessalonians in Paul's days heard the word of God, the model of repentance is first to confess God's judgments true and right. So they repented and said, in Zechariah 1.6, as the Lord of hosts has purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. In other words, God's right. We did sin. They did sin. It's fallen upon us to pay for the sin, but they did and we have, God is right. Oftentimes we repent of something. We repent because we know we did wrong. We're paying the price for it. Things got tough. Usually in a relationship is when this happens. And we repent. But prior to repentance, we do have to have this confession. That the reason I am stirred up this way is God's spirit, God willing, working in my spirit, and not letting my conscience be free until I take care of this. Again, usually it's a relationship. 
Usually you have to go to a brother or sister and resolve things. But the first step here, prior to that, is God's judgments are true and right. It's because God's judgments are true and right that we're stirred up in the first place. We feel this need to go and repent. It's because God is right. And the second step in this model of repentance, if you will, is they repented of their sin, which was apathy towards God. Apathy towards God. And this was the whole problem back in Haggai. So you're taking care of your own houses, you're putting panels in your houses. My house, the Lord's house, the one you were released from Babylon to take care of, it's a mess. You're being apathetic towards God is usually what it is means to not have God as our top priority, as our number one, the way we discussed it and explained it this morning. So they repented. First, they confessed God was true and right. And second, then they repented of their sin, of their apathy towards God. If we don't confess his judgments as true, then what do we have? What we're calling repentance, if it does not have as a first step that God is right, well, it might be mere regret for bad consequences of poor decisions. It might be, I sinned against this person who's so close to me, and I'm paying the price for it, and my relationship with him or her is now cold when it should be warm, and I want things to be better. So I'm going to go do something called repentance, maybe with a small r, and I'm going to go try and make things right. But really what I want is just peace in the home or my friendship restored or something like that. No, we have to begin with this, that God is right, that what God's word said is right, and that what I have done is I failed to follow him and failed to give him his proper place. You see, if we confess from the heart that the repentance is based upon God's true and just judgment, then it is he who gave us the pricks of conscience. It's he who worked on our conscience against our own spirit. And then we can join with the voice at the altar that we see in Revelation 16, 7. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And then we're on the path of repentance and restoration. So we look back on 2022, and there are things we want to correct and there are for all of us, if you're one of those who stops and makes resolutions on a day like this, which I do have to admit is not biblically required of anybody. Though resolution is required, and repentance of sin is required, and getting on the right path is required, this is just a day when we often do it, and that's the only reason we're using it that way. Confession of sin does not, true confession cannot occur in a vacuum or be the result of our own efforts. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in you. People hearing Zechariah, they repented. Hearing the word of God. We don't hear the word of God the same way they did. But this Bible you have in front of you, that is the word of God. That is the prophetic word. That is the, the way God, by his spirit, will prick your conscience. Give you the spiritual discernment to know how you have sinned, to whom you must go to reconcile, and to give you even the strength and the wherewithal and the determination to take care of it. Now, it cannot occur in a vacuum. 
cannot be the result of our own efforts. It's a work of God by his Holy Spirit to do this. And it's a good work. It's a holy work. It can be a hard thing for us to take care of, but it's a good work. And 2023 is a great time to gird up your loins and be determined to make short work of things like this when God is stirring you up this way. What does he say in verse 3? He says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, with that title for God repeated there. So when, God, when sin is pointed out, when God sends the pricks directly by his spirit working on ours, or less directly by our circumstances, as we said in the message to Haggai, they're to look at where they were and say, well, it's a circumstance that reveals these things to us, or they should have seen it that way. But when God does send those pricks of conscience, those goads, as Paul calls them in Acts, what do we have? Do we have hard times? Restless nights? Maybe hard times. Maybe restless nights. But the Lord is sovereign, and only he can move a conscience to acknowledge sin. It's the Lord, you see. It's the Lord calling you to repent, calling us to that. The Hebrew word shub, the Greek word metanoeo, they both have that same idea that I explained earlier of just completely about face and going a determined 180 degrees away from whatever course you were on and towards, well, towards what? Towards whom? Well, towards... First of all, a father in heaven whose spirit broke your pride, who crushed your arrogance, who undid our self-sufficiency. And then what? Did he leave you wallowing in the, with the prodigal son with the pigsty? No, he brought you, he brought me, he brought everyone who believes in his son Jesus Christ to his senses. And there we are, turned, repentant, and we're dressed in filthy rags that were used for the worst kind of filth and to be disposed of. And there we are on the road back to him, covered in sin and shame. And we look up to God and he says, look up, sinner. And what do we see when we do this, when we repent? When God's judgments are true and right and we do repent of things. Whatever it is that he put on our, our spirit. We say, look up, sinner. Look up, raise up your shamed eye and see who stands there waiting for you to return. What does he say? Return to me and I will return to you. Who is standing there waiting for us to repent, waiting for us to come to him, waiting for us to, give, to, to be given the strength and the determination to take care of our sin and to see repentance and works that are meet with repentance? Who stands there waiting for us to return to him? Who calls us out and says, return to me and I will return to you? It's the Lord. It is he, Jesus Christ, who paid for that sin. It's he, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for our iniquity. He's the one who's standing there as we come up, crawling on the road, as it were, with the prodigal, dressed still in the ragged clothes, still stinking of the pigsty. And it's Jesus who bore the awful load on his shoulders because of our offenses. You see, he's the one who... It calls out to the Jews in Zechariah's day and to the church in our day. Return to me and I'll return to you. There's a divine motivation here. The motive is to be restored to this warm intimacy with our Heavenly Father. To say with David, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And that road to restoration and joy begins with repentance. So if you look back 
on 2022 with the metrics, with the eyes, with the view of the Lord from his scripture that was suggested this morning. What do we do in 2023? Return to me, says the Lord, and I'll return to you. In any one of the things, any one of the areas that the Lord might put on your heart, this is his call. Return and I'll return. I wonder sometimes if our resistance to repentance is because of a warped view of our Father. I wonder sometimes if that view of our Father is one who will simply look down on us with a stern gaze. Say, yeah, you finally came to your senses, didn't you? Look at you dressed in those prodigal's rags and such like that. We look at scripture and, and we see his holiness, which is indescribably pure. We look at Isaiah 6, we hear the chorus, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and close the text. And what are we? We're terrified of God. We say, I cannot approach a God like that. You cannot. We say, how, how, how can I stand with my sin before that God? He won't accept me. He will not. Those are true. Except. But God, that great word, but, as opposed to all those fears, as opposed to that thought, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, sent his son to die for those things. We too often forget that while it is his holiness that brings his wrath against our sin, it is his love for sinners that brought him to send his son Jesus to reconcile us to himself by reconciling the Father's holiness with our sin. And he did that in Jesus, the Holy One of God. I wonder if our repentance is sometimes staunched or slowed by such a view of God as that. Do you remember the scene in Braveheart? Braveheart had this great scene where his son, who was kind of a weak-willed kid, while his father was away in France fighting, the Northern Army in Scotland, the British Army in Scotland got wiped out, and the father blames him. So here's the son. He's sitting in his room. He's at this table. He's terrified to meet his father. And he hears him walking up this aisle or the hallway towards him. Or as he's dressed in armor, he says, a clunk. Like that. Have you seen this? And with every step, he gets more and more terrified until finally Patrick McGoon, who plays the king, did a great job, comes in. But is that your view of the father? That he's this wrathful, stern, terrifying king who's just going to criticize you, beat you down, tell you how bad you are. No, that could not be the God who says, return to me and I will return to you. Has the Lord put sin on your heart? Has the Lord given you knowledge of something that you have not resolved last year? And what does he say? You didn't do it last year, so forget about it. You're never going to get there. No, he says, return. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Return to me, and I'll give you the strength to repent and to get back on the right path, to go the right direction. No, that king who so terrified his son in Braveheart, and too many of us have had fathers that we view that way. That's not the same God who said, return to me and I'll return to you. It's not the same God who told James to tell us in his scripture, what? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
It is not he who loved the rich young ruler even after he rejected him. It is not he who in the parable, ignoring appearances and acceptable standard, girded up his loins and ran to his son and ran to meet him and showered him with kisses and embraces which the filthy son could not escape because his father held him so close. The father who scared his son to death has no point of contact with Jesus. The father in that movie Braveheart, nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Do you think of things in 2022 and say, I need to repent and correct this, but it's too late. I've let it go for too long. There's nothing I can do about this. Nah. If you think that way, you need to change your thinking. You really do. Because that would have no point of contact either with the Jesus Christ who says what? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly and gentle gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So God is the one who calls us to repent. God is the one who calls us to look back and see where we went awry and get that back on the right path. And how do we do that? One, God is right. God's judgments are true and just. Two, repent. Go to him. Tell him where we've gone wrong. He already knows. He already knows. And his embrace is ready, as it was for the prodigal. As it is in Jesus Christ, it says, come to me. Come to me, I will give you rest. Rest from your labors, rest from your sin. Rest from being scared of God. No, God's the one who calls us to repent. And if he calls us to repent, how could he reject us when he's the one who called us? Is that even possible? So let us, when we pray, when we think of 2022, we look forward to 2023, and as we pray this afternoon, as we go to him because of the merits of his beautiful son, who's redeemed us from our sin and given value to our repentance, let us go to him in full hope and trust that he has and will turn to us. That he's loved us, that he's embraced us, that he's even kissed us because of true repentance. Was this possible only by, possible only by faith in his son, Jesus Christ? If Christ hadn't died for our sins, if Christ isn't the one who died and was buried and was raised on the third day, repentance would mean nothing. But because of him, because he did die for your sins, because he died and was buried, and because in order that God would certify to you and confirm to our weak spirits that he did indeed pay the price for your sins, he raised him up on the third day. So because of all these things, repentance has true value. And it's not so much a command, return to me and I'll return to you. It's a beckoning. It's the prodigal son's father who couldn't wait to see his son in filthy rags, smelling of pigs, and covered with sin, coming to him. And the father says, okay, well, get a shower first before you, you, you smell. No. He embraced him so tight and showered him with kisses so many times that the poor kid couldn't escape and take that shower until afterwards. That's our God. That's the God who wants to hear from us. That's the God who says, return to me and I'll return to you. That's the God who James promises, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's the God we're going to go to in just a few minutes in prayer.
Amen.